I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to Eureka, the show that gets under the skin of science in a good way as we invite a new expert every week to help us answer one of science's most interesting questions. I'm Rick Edwards. And I'm Dr. Michael Brooks. Today, I think I always say this, but this is going to be an absolute belter. I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, If the title of the episode wasn't a giveaway, the excitement in my voice, I think, will be. Today, we're going to be talking about... Animals. (laughs) Animals. <laughs> really, there is another animal question we haven't done yet. There, is there? there is. I thought of one. I'm really happy with it. <laughs> um, so we're going to be looking at... So I, I suppose the sort of formal scientific way uh, would be to say we're going to look at ecological niches. Right. But that sounds quite boring. Yeah. Uh, so what we're really looking at is what would the world look like if humans went extinct? Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. So a reset or just, you know, another mass extinction. Yeah. So we've had five mass extinctions. And the very strong argument say we're currently in the sixth, yeah. which is being driven by human activity. Um, and the next mass extinction, whether it's this one or the next one, knocks us out completely. So are we then, going to go into like why that might happen? Or I think we, yeah, I think we can go into okay, that a good, little bit. Good. But I think I'm more interested in in what happens in in the aftermath. So yeah, yeah. the event itself, like take your pick, really. Well, there's not what? many things to choose from, is there? I'm, I'm going for like, a massive pandemic, but um, pa- well, pandemic is the is the sort of the clean, like human specific, clean, isn't it? Pandemic, just clean, get rid of all the humans, yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. Like that's quite nice. Yeah. Um, well, I say nice, <laughs> like <laughs> in, in terms of the thought experiment. Yeah. Whereas all, the other way, so you know, meteorite, messy. It is quite messy, and there will be like we'll cling on for a bit. Yeah. You yeah, probably looking, won't get everyone at once, will it? No, no. Um, so you want. Yeah, you want something nice and nice and straightforward. So yeah, pandemic would, pandemic yeah, yeah, would probably okay. do it. Nice viral pandemic. Yeah, yeah. You know, Where we have I heard those. that before? <laughs> well, in our book, 2017. Just saying. <laughs> if it wasn't a pandemic, so if it was a sort of uh, cataclysmic event, so whether that is a meteorite or a... Uh, like suddenly... Like massive volcanic activity, yeah, something like that would be terrifying. Um, and then you're in; you've definitely got quite a few years, probably yeah, okay. like a hundred thousand years of struggle, dystopian struggle. I'm not really um, up for that. No, I'm definitely not. <laughs> I I don't think either of us are doing particularly well. No, although I mean, my go-to thing if there's a catastrophe 
is I've got a copy of Lewis Dartnell's The Knowledge. The Knowledge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so have I. <laughs> but when it's like in a strong box, it's, it's like grab, the, <laughs> get the knowledge. <laughs> but it's a, it's a great book. So it's it's a book about trying to restart civilization. So he's kind of his premise is pick up from the point at which there's just a few human survivors, but yeah. civilization has totally collapsed. Yeah. How do you restart everything? And it's a great book. And the whole time I was reading it, I was just thinking, I I'd be absolutely <laughs> yeah. fucking hopeless here. Like, uh, even with the book. Yeah, yeah. With my guidebook. After about six weeks, I'm just using its pages to light the yeah. fire. <laughs> and then just get, just giving up. <laughs> just getting drunk on vodka. <laughs> I raided from the supermarket. <laughs> If you've listened to any of our episodes on climate change, you might be thinking that humanity's time on Earth is running out fast. So if, or when, we follow in the footsteps of the dinosaurs, what's going to replace us? Will it be a battle of the most intelligent species, or the biggest? Or is it just going to be whichever species can adapt the best? Obviously, I hope it's the octopus. Let's find out, as this week we're asking, if humans go extinct, what animal takes our place? I mean, this is such a good question. It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I'm so excited. Because it's total speculation. (laughs) (laughs) Which is our sweet spot. Of course there's a load of science to talk about, but fundamentally, it's just have some fun. Let your imagination run wild. We're not going to be wrong. No, well, we might be, but we certainly won't be called on it. (laughs) Uh, We have recruited an expert to help us answer today's question, as per. Um, So we've got Dr Elsa Panciaroli, who is a researcher at the Oxford University Museum of Natural History. She studies the evolution of tetrapods. And as well as research, Dr Elsa has just published her book. It's called The Earth, Biography of Life. And what did you ask her? So I, I accept that this is quite difficult to do in, uh, I wanted to do it in about a minute. Uh, talk us through the first creatures with backbones all the way to us. Wow. Thank you. It's a very long evolutionary journey from those first creatures with backbones coming out of water all the way to us. And we're just this tiny blink that's only occurred, of course, in the sort of, you know, fingertip of time. We've really not been around for very long. So, uh, yeah, it's a really huge journey from those first animals that came out um, of the water and they then had to, some branch, some groups of them developed the ability to lay eggs and that meant that they could come away from the water's edge and start colonising inland. Uh, our own group, which is called Synapsida, they actually uh, they kind of took off first and they began to evolve into large body sizes. Some of them were plant eaters, some of them were big carnivores. But then there was a mass extinction at the end of the Permian about 252 million years ago. And after that mass extinction, it was the reptiles, famously, of course, the dinosaurs uh, included, that did really, really well in the next time period. And it wasn't until most of them became extinct 66 million years ago that our group, the mammals, sort of took off again and began to grow large and do all these interesting things. And that included, of course, the primates, which just in the last sort of five to six million years um, included us. Impressive. It's a good summary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not uh, very long, is it? Like five to six million years for us, and like, you know, but that's not even us. That's just hominids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, we've only we, like what? What are we? Two hundred thousand years? Two hundred fifty thousand at a push, I reckon. I mean, it's real blink of an eye stuff yeah, in terms of sort yeah. of geological time. 
we are, you know, we're, we're a spec. We just happen to be the current spec. Yeah. But we're um, the first spec that is speculating about what comes after The nature us. of its spec. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. Um, and it's all worth pointing out, first of all, that our, the, the world, the earth, has changed massively over, you know, sort of geological time. Right. So the, the climate has been wildly different. Um, and you're looking at a planet that is, how was the earth of four and a half billion years? Yeah. Something like that. Uh, life evolved about 3.8 billion years ago. Nothing very exciting for, you know, like a long, <laughs> long time, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually stuff starts kicking off in the, in, in the sea. Um, and so we're, we're right at the, um, at the sharp end, even with that long sort of 250 million year, 300 million year period that, uh, that Dr. Elsa just mentioned. Um, so, but in that time when you've had animals around, the, yeah, the, the world has been wildly wildly different so big fluctuations in yeah. in temperature ocean acidity levels of carbon dioxide levels of oxygen um and one of my one of my favorite uh bits i suppose is where so quite early on so 300 million years ago say yeah. um uh, in in the carboniferous as the name implies the carboniferous was fantastic for plants so carbon dioxide levels were quite high um which is great for plants because yeah. they're photosynthesizing and that's how they that's how they eat effectively, yeah. um, and uh, and they're then producing a lot of oxygen because that's a, a byproduct, yeah, yeah. and so oxygen concentrations in the air are really quite high, and you sort of think, I wonder if that's made a particular difference to anything, and it did make a difference to insects. So insects Didn't are they around. Get massive. Yes, they did. <laughs> it's it's great. This is the kind of stuff that immediately just makes people grin when you think about it. So the reason that insects are small now is that so I mean obviously this is pretty clear. They don't have lungs or anything. The way that they they breathe is they have these kind of little tubes called I think called trachea, but I might have made that up. Uh, and they sort of just absorb oxygen from here. And there's a limit to how much oxygen they can get in, yeah. and that limits their their, their body right. size. But if you increase the concentration of oxygen in the air, then they can get more oxygen in and they can grow. And right. did they grow? Uh, yes, sir, they grew. Uh, so you've literally got you've got dragonflies that are the size of hawks. Oh, <laughs> you've got you've got um, not millipedes, but something that was similar to a millipede, the size of a person. <gasps> it's great stuff. I presume um, we, there wasn't anything like us around. No, but no, no, we wouldn't have grown anything any larger, would we? Because we don't no, process no, no, oxygen different. in yeah, that yeah, way. No, yeah, but it wouldn't have made that right. difference to us. So, it it so would have made some differences, but so not we, that. So we would have been this size. Yes. And the insects would have been the same size. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. So there's a kind of, um, you know, oh, a, a reasonable, so and we'll go on to talk about this, but there's a reasonable sort of um, guess that if we were wiped out, Something that would happen is vegetation would suddenly. You, know, you look at all the all the sort of monoculture yeah. that, that covers so much of the land. That's going to disappear, and very quickly you're going to get vast amounts of vegetation and 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 forestation all over the uh, all over the globe. And then that's going to increase the amount of oxygen, and suddenly insects once again are like get huge. Now then, um, and so you you genuinely could have things with exactly the same body plan, but like a praying mantis the size of a dog. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah. So we become prey, <laughs> And then like massive, well, we're already dead, remember? 
Yeah, but if I mean, there could be like one or two survivors who keep a, a small lineage of humans going. I'm, I'm just getting rid of us. I think you've but got. Can to you just imagine get rid living alongside that? I don't. I don't really want to. I feel like a prime mantis is, is taking no, care I'll be of back on the vodka again, yeah. just like drink myself to death. <laughs> I'd rather that than getting done by a praying mantis. Learning Lewis Dartnell's book. <laughs> Where's the big insects, Lewis? And you the, didn't mention the big insects. Um, and also our friends, the um, the cockroach, uh, oh, they they have survived all five mass extinctions, of course, <laughs> uh, and they, they would probably get big as well. So oh. you've probably got... You know, the size of big rats. Literally, a shiver just went down my yeah, spine. Yeah, huge cockroaches. Rats. Rats. Scurrying around. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, no, I'm not going for so that. That's, so that's yeah. a possibility. Okay. So imagine an asteroid hits Earth. Yeah. But humans do survive, right? That, that kind of thing. You know, there would still be animals that did better or did well, wouldn't there? Yeah. So, I mean, if an asteroid hit, effectively, it'd just be the animals that are doing well living alongside humans now. Right. Okay. Um, so, there are certain animals that you just think about foxes or deer, um, rats, the sort of animals that live on those kind of fringes of human sort of civilization all right within yeah um where they've actually adapted to it quite quickly because one thing that humans do do is they change the environment quickly yeah um and so a key um a key element of survival if you're an animal is can you adapt to that and you can see the ones that are able to uh fairly clearly but it it all comes down to that this whole question is is about ecological niches yeah so and, and the niches uh, it's a combination it's not just the sort of physical environment and, and conditions it's also the interactions that you have with the other organisms um and and so it's the sort of the role that whatever the thing is plays in its community right okay um and so we've all got to band together so the asteroid hits and the rats and the foxes are, are just like right we need to sit by the side of the humans because they're going to Sort well, of, you know, they're, they're the ones who are going to adapt quickest m- to this. Maybe, but you've got to bear in mind that when the asteroid hits, a load of stuff is is, is going to get wiped out. Yeah. It just is. Because it's going to be, and I, I would include us in that, I think. Um, and I, I'm, that's the thing. I really want to get rid of us from this, from this question, <laughs> ideally. Right, just right, just right. get rid. Um, and what you have is suddenly all of these vacant niches. Yeah. And so you've got opportunity for the th- the things that do survive to go out there and exploit those 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 niches that okay. have been that have been vacated and so you get this thing called um and we, and we see it after the after the mass extinctions these adaptive radiations which yeah. is where you have intense diversification so you get loads of new species from from you know single common ancestors that are changing their appearance and their behavior to suit their their new environments um and it's kind of it's quite exciting really um and so really the first there's a number of ways you can try and think about this question of what actually would would step in to to replace us um you can think about what's going to survive or you can think what is the future environment going to look like and what would suit that yeah. i think it's harder to think about the future environment because yeah. it's a bit of a i think it's just too much of an unknown but you can look at the things that have survived previous extinctions to give you some clues about what might have what might have a decent chance and so does that give you a kind of sense of like how adaptable that particular creature is yeah so i i think this is probably quite obvious but what you really don't want to be is a sort of specialist 
Yeah, that, yeah. That occupies a really sort of specific niche where you just you're like a fussy eater. <laughs> like yeah, you're yeah. a koala yeah. or a panda. Like you, I'm you're so yeah. glad we I mean, get rid of I mean, those they're guys. Basically done anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Fuck those guys. Um, you know, koalas only eat you know eucalyptus. Eucalyptus is getting less nutritious anyway. They're, yeah, they're all in and it's red. all burned up by the meteorite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So see that they're, they're absolutely no chance. Yeah. So you're yeah. looking for generalists like unfussy omnivores and by and large small as well yeah Be- being small is really useful because you rats can kind of spot, yeah rat- rats are looking very very good for this and in fact richard dawkins in in uh before he sort of went a bit you know how he yeah. is now yeah. uh, when he was just a really well respected <laughs> evolutionary <laughs> biologist in one of his books he, he wrote about how rats are in a very strong position because they eat anything they're small and they reproduce really quickly, oh, so that they could see this as a as a very, very enticing opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and and when, I've when, got friends who tick all those boxes. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> like, how small are they? <laughs> <laughs> um, when 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 biologists look at previous mass extinctions, they've sort of tried to figure out why the things that have survived have survived. And one thought was, if you've got an animal group that has a load of species, so just a a kind of a numbers game, like insects, for example, you're more likely that a few of you will get through. Yeah, That that kind of makes sense. And then you've just got the, yeah, the generalists who just have a sort of diversity of ecological roles um, and they will be they're just less susceptible to sort of fluctuations through through time because they're just adaptable because of that. Um, and what, what you see is that you can actually have a bit of both, in fact. So like mollusks now and arthropods, they both have a lot of diversity, but they've also been around for ages. Yeah. And early on, there would have been not that many species, but occupying really different niches. And that's great. So then you've got a long sort of ancestral history yeah, and you have now diversified um, and that puts you in a really, really strong position. So sort of the, your, your winners are probably very small and, and partly that's because it means you can hide yeah. or, or get underground. Like all of that is really, yeah, is really yeah. handy. Like when, when it's an absolute shit show up on the yeah, surface, yeah. being able to burrow down yeah, into the ground. Yeah, being a giraffe is not great. No, and it's awful. Uh, and then... Actually, probably an endotherm, so probably warm-blooded yeah. rather than rather than cold-blooded, because if you're cold-blooded, it's just that much harder to regulate your 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 body temperature, yeah. um, and you're really susceptible to. to, to I mean, you become to, sluggish, to climate don't you? change. And, I mean, and, and yeah, you're not evading predators. So no, well. no. I mean, you, you you're just not really suited. Although you know, I mean, insects, you, they're not cold-blooded clearly, but they're also they're not. They're not warm-blooded. No, <laughs> they're not blooded. But, I mean, they're, they're, they'll be fine. Um, you mentioned climate change. I mean, are we getting a hint from climate change of, like, what species are more adaptable? Yeah, I think we are. Um, you know, there's a, there's a group of lizards that uh, they've done experiments with where they've sort of moved them from a cold place to a, to a warm place and they were able to adapt very quickly. Like, okay, well, that will, that will benefit you. Yeah, okay. Um, you look at... Um, well, this is really interesting. Lots of things are getting smaller oh. in general, and that seems to be as a reaction to temperature. Um, 
partly evolving to be smaller. Um, and it's all about sort of you know surface area to volume yeah, ratio, yeah. just slightly easier to regulate your your, your temperature. Yeah. Uh, so if you're getting too if you're getting too hot, you want to have a high surface volume to rate uh, uh, surface area to volume ratio because it'll be easier to lose heat. Yeah. Um, and the smaller you are, yeah. Um, so there's a sort of evolutionary part, and then there's a, a slightly less ideal sort of developmental part, which is that your metabolism when you're um, when you're an infant is speeding up and so you get to maturity earlier and you haven't grown as much so that wouldn't be passed oh, okay. on yeah. genetically yeah. that's not an yeah. evolutionary feature yeah. so there's two things going on and you can see this i mean slightly hard to read that much into these studies but certainly see it in birds see it in some mammals like you see it kind of across a lot of different types of animals um so that's one kind of response that that feels like it's it's a, a response to climate yeah, change. Yeah. Um, so those animals might be m- might be in business. Um, but you... in terms of our lot, in terms of mammals, um, I, I, again, it's like it is going to be the small ones because when there's a sort of common misconception, I think that mammals weren't around when when the dinosaurs were were, were present, but they but they were. Um, they were just these tiny little fellas yeah, who, who are struggling. Yeah. So, it, like dinosaurs, for and, and this feels arbitrary. Dinosaurs became really big, and so they absolutely dominated that space. And so they they so made you their, didn't want to sp- share that space with a dinosaur. You weren't no really no no. Like, so you're just like right, okay. Well, we'll have the space down here. We'll we'll yeah. find our own ecological niche, yeah, which yeah. is being small and sort of scurrying around and, yeah. and climbing. So for between, you know, 225 million years ago and 66 million years ago, all of the mammals are, there's not a mammal that's bigger than a badger. They're, they're <laughs> okay. all, they're all just, yeah, they're all yeah. just kind of creeping around, <laughs> yeah, yeah. grubbing around yeah. and stuff. Uh, and, and the dinosaurs are all, are all, are all big and the dinosaurs are preventing any of the mammals from getting big because they're, they're dominating those, those niches. You could also make the opposite argument, which is the mammals were sort of preventing the dinosaurs from getting small. It doesn't because feel they, like a proper argument. But I think it's true, though. Actually, I think it's true because they're they're in the niche. Like, there's not you, you don't generally tend to expand into a yeah, niche. It's, that it's is quite occupied. hard to think in those terms because we're talking like millions of years. Of uh, yeah, 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 yeah. For those, kind of, and it's um, not like a dinosaur was looking down and saying, "Oh, I can't go down there." No, and also, I mean, this is always the danger with evolution. You sort of end up talking about it in sort of directed terms, yeah, and there yeah, is no direction. Yeah. It's all just yeah. random, effectively. Yeah. Okay. Um, but they, but the dinosaurs, it would have been better for them as it happens if they'd been the small ones. Yeah, if they'd been small, it would have been them that would have survived. Apart from the avian, obviously, avian dinosaurs did survive. Um, but if they'd been the peckers, and then mammals have been the absolute units, yeah. then I mean, God knows where we'd be. We, I mean, well, we'd we be, wouldn't be here. Would well, we? We, well, would we'd we? be sort of rep, reptilian. Uh, <laughs> 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 we'd still be. Listen. We'd still be doing a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we just have uh, David Icke as yeah, our expert yeah. every week. <laughs> We'd just be a bit <laughs> scalier. <laughs> Climate change is obviously useful in terms of telling us where things might go, and I asked Dr. Elsa about this. Predicting how animals are going to survive, with particularly with climate change, um, is of course really important right now because because of the the mass extinction that we're currently causing. I mean, we do already see, looking at the response of animals, that mammals in particular, a lot of them are becoming increasingly nocturnal. 
because they can be quite flexible in their in their life, you know, when they're active during the day. We are seeing those that do better with um, high temperatures and a lack of water. Of course, those are going to preferentially survive. Specialists don't tend to do well, so we could be looking at very sort of generalist animals, animals that can eat anything and live anywhere, uh, tending to do really well. But it's very difficult to predict generally what evolution will do to mammals. I guess I would say that it's very cyclical and you'll probably see, as we have done over hundreds of millions of years, the same adaptations just come up again and again and again for the the problems that life throws um, at different animals. Yeah, that's a good point, that um, even though evolution is random, you see so many examples of convergent evolution where you end up at the same solutions to the same problems, because you see the same problems yeah, again yeah. and again. Um, and there are sort of good good designs There's sort of obvious that. ways out, aren't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah like, like eyes. Like eyes yeah. have evolved independently a number of times, yeah. um, because they're, they're pretty good eyes. Um, so we'll come back to, I think, uh, I mean, I've, I've talked a lot about, um, I've got ahead of myself because I'm excited about the subjects. Um, <laughs> this, this, this can happen. But I think when we come back from the break, I'm going to talk to you a bit about, a bit more about mammals. Talk at me. Yeah, I'm going to talk at you uh, about mammals at the point that the asteroid hit 66 million years okay. ago. Um, because it's it's quite interesting. We sort of think that they all survived and that really wasn't the case. And then the really key thing that's surprising I haven't already mentioned is whether intelligence is sort of inevitable. Whether oh, yeah. whether we're yeah. going to end up with an animal like us that is very intelligent, kind of shaping its own world. And we'll answer our big question. If humans go extinct, what animal would take our place? Let's have a break. I've got a sore throat already. 
climate change is is kind of showing that generalist species survive. Yes, because they because they can find a way to do so. Basically, yes, yes. Um, and uh, and there's going to be no more koala bears. No, I mean, as mentioned, koalas are uh, koalas are screwed because they're they're the opposite of cosmopolitan. Yeah, yeah. But the specialists, they eat one thing, like pandas, uh, and anything that has... <laughs> they eat of, pandas? Uh, yeah, yeah they, weirdly, they eat pandas, yeah. <laughs> no wonder we're struggling with the pandas. Is that why they have to stay in China? <laughs> yeah, terrified of the, uh, <laughs> the, the koalas. marauding koalas. <laughs> but they're, yeah, they're, 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 they haven't got hope. Yeah, really. okay. I mean, they haven't got hope. If nothing happens, <laughs> but so all right. So I was interested in like this cyclical idea that that you know you get these solutions that come up time and time mm, again, mm, and mm, mm, and you know so over deep time we just we kind of know what's going to happen, do we? Ah, uh, I don't. I mean, no, I don't think we know what's going to happen. But if we're interested in so our lot, the the mammals, for example, and the ones that survive, so we effectively were. You'd say the sort of second-class citizens and the, and the dinosaurs were, were were dominating. Yeah, right. Then the asteroid hits, and only seven percent of mammals survived that. Oh, which okay. is yeah. and, and and I think everyone sort of somehow thinks that all the mammals were just like hiding away and like fantastic. Yeah. No, it was a nightmare for most of them as well. And I think in the hundred sort of hundred two hundred thousand years immediately after that asteroid hit, a the Earth is going to be really awful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and B, I think there's only 23 species of mammal. What? Yeah. What and left? I, yeah. No. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. uh, so and they're and they're, and they're you know small generalist omnivores. Yeah. As as you'd kind of uh, expect, and then you've got all of these all of these vacant niches to, to, to have a look at. And so quite quickly, the first thing is, you've got all of this vegetation, massive vegetation, that previously the dinosaurs have been eating. Yeah. And then the mammals are like, well, well come to me. <laughs> <laughs> and so they've got big quite quickly. So yeah. they've gone from sort of rat size to cow size yeah. and, and bigger, actually. So you've got some some animals, uh, some mammals coming down the line that are like twice the size of elephants. Um, but interestingly, the brain doesn't, get big straight away. Because I think the other temptation is to imagine that the, the brain is going to be really helpful. Yeah. But in fact, having a big brain, like so energetically demanding. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, that it's 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 not ideal. Yeah. So so actually, the mammals got big and dumb. Dumb as fuck, this thing's <laughs> been. Like, really. Because, yeah, yeah the, like the absolute size yeah. of the brain is is increasing. Yeah. But the, the, the brain size to body ratio, which is the key thing, is is decreasing, yeah. so these are getting <laughs> thicker and thicker, <laughs> bigger and bigger and thicker and thicker, which I like. I can sort of see a new Ice Age franchise yeah. coming out of this. <laughs> really dozy mammals, <laughs> but huge <laughs> and enjoying themselves. I think absolutely having the time of their lives. Um, and then, and then once you've sort of filled the niches, I suppose, yeah. then you start to have more competition. And then it looks like it's probably more beneficial to start getting smarter. Yeah, so intelligence comes yeah, from so competition, once, effectively. Yeah, once you realise you need to beat this book. Whereas if you think about just a world where effectively there isn't much, yeah. you just go and you sort of choose your bit. And there's loads of big plants. Too. Yeah, loads of big plants. You're like, great. <laughs> well, I yeah. don't exactly need to be the brain of Britain, do I? <laughs> <laughs> Not that Britain existed then. No, no, we're talking, uh, I guess, uh, 
Mm, I suppose we're still Pangea then, aren't we? Yeah. Must be. Yeah. Um, we were still part of Europe then. Oh, the good old days before we took back control. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I mean, I kind of was seeing a, like a Planet of the Apes kind of situation. But, I mean, intelligence is not crucial for initial survival then. So, so it just evolves later. Well, uh, well. So what we don't know is if it's inevitable. And I think that's the really interesting thing. So is the cognitive niche, what Stephen Pinker calls the cognitive niche, is it always going to be exploited? And so the cognitive niche is really interesting because it is a niche, but it's not a physical space. It's not like a particular a particular combination of environmental variables. It's not a combination of, of other organisms or how you fit in. It's like... A, the opportunity that any environment provides for sort of the exploitation of your mental abilities. Yeah. So it kind of applies anywhere and at, and at all times. So it's a it, it it's a niche, but it's a it's a totally different niche. Will it always get exploited? Well, I don't know. Like, there's not much evidence to suggest that. Like, we're a remember we're a blip, and we are undoubtedly exploiting it and exploiting yeah. it. Well, depending on how you want to measure it, very, very well indeed. But nothing else, as far as we know, has ever done that. But it it clearly would have been there at all times, like this this kind of overarching non-physical niche. But nothing's gone into it. So who knows? Really, it feels like it's useful. Feels like it's really useful. Yeah, yeah. And and we do see sort of human-like intelligence in other creatures whether it's the dolphins well yeah dolphins i suppose are probably the most human like because they're because they're mammals so yeah. sort of the most similar but then unlike humans the corvids to yeah. the crows smart using tools to kind of manipulate their environment yeah. a bit um and then we're never doing this episode without getting a mention. The octopus, obviously, obviously, is an intelligence that is evolved totally separately, yeah, um, and responding to totally different challenges because it lives in a totally different environment. Yeah, um, so you do see intelligence emerging, but whether it's whether it's kind of whether an inevitability or, or crucial, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think we know. Okay, um, it does. It what it does do is it allows you to immediately overtake other organisms' defences. If, if you sort of look at the whole setup as a kind of... And evolutionary arms race is a term that gets bandied about, but it's been criticised quite a lot because it's not quite that simple. But yeah. it's, I think it is a, quite a useful uh, analogy, really. Humans can just develop offences in, in real time <laughs> that other organisms have to sort of evolve over geological time. It gives them such a big advantage. Um, And you can effectively then dominate anywhere. You can go anywhere and and, and dominate because you're so so flexible. Um, And so it's certainly a good good way of of, of doing it. Um, But we, yeah, it's not clear that it will happen. I mean, if I was having a guess, I'd probably say yes. It it will because it's so it's so powerful. I mean, your guess is great. I mean, what about Dr. Elsa? Did she? Yeah, I did. I did actually take the liberty of asking Dr. Elsa. Thank you. 
So there's no reason to think that something like a human being would evolve again. Um, it's really just a case of luck and serendipity that we happened to evolve the way we did. We, we of course, tend to think that the fact that we consider ourselves intelligent is this amazing thing and it makes us so much better than everything else. But actually, if you look at the, uh, the sort of history of life right back to the beginning, there are other creatures that have lasted a lot longer. Things like horseshoe crabs, lots of different types of insect. Cockroaches have virtually survived unchanged since they first evolved. So if we were to become extinct, it would go to show that, you know, we weren't around for very long. So being smart is maybe not the best trait for long-term survival. Really good point. Like, yeah. I mean, for example, if we like wipe ourselves out within the next sort of, I don't know, 10,000 years? Yeah. Feels quite plausible. Highly likely, yeah. We are not making a dent in geological time. Like we are... We are a deeply unsuccessful yeah. species, you'd have to say, when you look at the amount of time that some other stuff has survived for. It's so interesting, though, isn't it, yeah. to talk in those terms? Because I think, yeah, but we haven't we done well? Like, okay, we might not have been around for long, but we've actually sort of consciously enjoyed and documented our experience. And it's a different kind mm. of life mm. to a horseshoe crab. I'm sorry, I know they've been around a long time, but they have not sort of... I would argue, enjoyed their existence as much as we but, have. But, but think about Dawkins' rats. So yeah. his, his old thing is like, a, it's quite a fun thought experiment. It's effectively rats, that they, they take over and and they evolve and they, they they get bigger and they get smarter until eventually you sort of have rat archaeologists and rat, yeah, rat yeah, archaeologists yeah, yeah. and rat paleontologists. Yeah, I'm happy with that. And Yeah, and it's nice. Yeah. And, they're do, and they're doing their little podcasts. <laughs> and, uh, rat and, casts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, uh, and so... They're then looking at the geological record. Yeah. And let's say this is in, I don't know, like 30 million years, 50 yeah. million years' yeah. time. Yes, we're going to have left a significant amount of traces, but the amount of the actual window of time that we're around for is so small. Right. I don't know if we're getting much of a much of a mention. I don't I, we really? might not even get noticed. Like think about when we talk about the dinosaurs, like the dinosaurs roaming the earth, because they were roaming the earth for what, a hundred and forty million years. Yeah. We were roaming the earth for three hundred thousand years. Like do you know what I mean? Yeah, I kinda see your point, but I, I, I mean, we're like an irrelevance, we would be. I feel like we should get a mention. We we might we might get a mention. As oh yeah, there was that other intelligence. There was those ones who created like the Eiffel Tower. In the it's like really good fun to run up there. You think the Eiffel Tower's still around here? <laughs> okay. It might be. Don't think so. No. No, I think the plants have taken care of everything we've built. Oh, Re ve like remarkably quickly, everything is getting uh, subsumed. Wow. Yeah. So I, I think we're... Uh, so we're not even leaving marks on the landscape, really? We're just... Well, I mean, no, you, you'd see layers within rocks, just like you do yeah. of, of, of everything that we study from the past. Oh, and wow, you'd notice, like, really rich... So it'd be a rich seam of what would be our... Well, actually, plastic, probably. Yeah. Plastic's probably our... Um, and that's sticking around for a while. Yeah. So that would probably be our one great achievement. Oh, well done us. Putting a layer of plastic yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. we took those those fossilised bits of carbon <laughs> and we just rearranged them. Yeah. They're into in a different layer now. Into this, and it's just a bit more toxic now. Any good to you? <laughs> <laughs>
All right, so so you've got, you know, let's say the rats taking over. Is that? I mean, we've talked about things being small. It's sort of important, isn't it, to have the right size? Oh, size always matters. And I actually got Dr. Elsa to explain this. So when it comes to extinction, being big is not actually good at all. Bigger animals don't tend to do very well. Um, it's generally smaller ones, and by smaller I mean oh, maybe pig-sized or smaller than that. So the biggest mass extinction of all time, one of the animals that did really well was one related to us, um, and it's this creature called Lystrosaurus, and it was about the size of a little pig, um, and it kind of lived like a little pig. It had, actually weirdly, it had a beak, um, which it used to, to sort of snap off um, foliage and eat it, and it basically could eat pretty much anything. It, all the plants that had had survived, it was eating them and it did really, really well for a few million years. But anything really large and really specialised doesn't tend to make it through mass extinctions very well at all. Alright, obviously I've just Googled Lystrosaurus. <laughs> Have a look at that bad he, boy. He's funny looking. So he's sort of, um, he's like the size of, a, of an average dog. And he looks like a sort of cross between a pig and a lizard with a beak. <laughs> I mean, he's, uh, and he's sort of got weird, like, splayed legs. Ladies. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you say he's one of our ancestors. And to be fair, I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, yeah, okay, okay. Um, but they had no, they were sort of in a sweet spot. Where so these are living a long time ago. So these are yeah. sort of, this is pre so that big extinction, the end Permian extinction, the biggest mass extinction in in geological time, two hundred fifty two million years ago, right. uh, wiped out I think ninety six percent of all animal species. Yeah. Like this was this was the big one, and it looks like it was through massive sort of volcanic activity. Um, pretty pretty grim stuff. But the good thing for this for the uh, the the Lystrosaurus. This handsome fella didn't really have any natural predators because he's just a bit too big right. for stuff to try and take down. He was also really good at, we can see it from his, from his sort of face, good at burrowing. So he would have been tunnelling. So he's like a sort of old school prepper. Yeah. Exactly what preppers do now. So he's, uh... he's got a cache of machine guns. Yeah, exactly. Baked bean, baked bean armoury. And he also, um, as well as sort of being quite a good tunneler, quite a good walker. So literally, so we're, we're very much in sort of, you know, Pangaea time here. Yeah. And the, um, the, the volcanic activity was up in the, in the north, sort of where Siberia is now. And very different up there. Yeah. Uh, and essentially, these these fellas just were like, ah, oh, yeah, well, it's shit up here. <laughs> so yeah, it just head down. gradually it just walked south. Yeah. So yeah. just sort of migrated south, um, borrowing away, really like the least fussy eaters eat any old crap. <laughs> um, and they just sort of wandered down. And so for a brief time, I think in the Triassic, they were the most common vertebrate on land. And these are. I'd literally Actually, never heard of these things before today, by the way. No, which is, which they should be, they're they great. should be celebrated. They should be celebrated because they're, they, they're not direct ancestors of ours. So they're, um, they're, they're, they're actually called therapsids. So they're sort of the event and therapsids, like the group did eventually turn into mammals. And the way that people think of therapsids, they were sort of mammal like reptiles, hence them looking sort of, as they do, yeah, which is yeah, yeah, fucking mad. weird, yeah, yeah. Um, but they were really, you know, they were really successful, and to survive that, 
is is no mean feat at all. So does that mean that after us, there could be some kind of hybrid thing that actually thrives? It's well, like, I don't you know, know. No, because I not think... not going to be like, you know, we talked a lot about rats mm. and they're being the sort of most obvious candidate. But is there, you know, will evolution create something completely new? Well, it's perfectly possible, isn't it? You wonder if there is an effect of stuff having been on an evolutionary path for a long time, though. Like, how easy is it for it to sort of divert away on onto a really sort of eccentric new path that we haven't seen before? And I don't really know if we know that. Oh, okay. But okay, so let's try and answer our um, our question then. If humans go extinct, what animal would take our place? I, th- I think rats rats have to be in the running. The problem I'm with rats, I'm sort of disappointed by that. I know the problem with rats is they're not they're not clever. We haven't and even really talked about other primates. Are they just not in the running at all? I I think if we're going, the other primates yeah, are they're just going, going anyway. I think so. Yeah, we'll take them. I with think us. they're gonna. I think they're gonna. Struggle. We're all going down together. Yeah. So r- rats are in there. I do, I do wonder about crows. I do yeah. think I think crows are a good shot because crows are mobile. They're they're fairly sort of diverse diet, small, and already starting to use tools. You sort of think if you gave them a big opportunity, <laughs> they might they might seize it. Um, they don't. What they don't have is uh, prehensile limbs. Yeah, they don't quite so have the they, tools. They, they do can't. They? The, well, yeah, the biological y- tools. I mean, yeah, yeah, and you you do sort of like there is a a, a theory I've seen written down before that having prehensile um, appendages might be linked with with intelligence. And, okay. you, and you know where I'm going with this because what else has got a prehensile appendage? The octopus. the octopus. The octopus. The octopus. And the octopus is clever. The problem with the octopus is he's in the water. Yeah, that's so it. He needs that's to get issue. out of the water. If he gets out of the water, you know, it's game, game over. over. <laughs> and some of them are getting out of the water. But in the water, you can't like. You're never going to have any sort of technology, I don't think. Fire is quite difficult in the fire, water, famously. Fire, very, very tricky. So how you start to sort of, you know, smelt metals. Yeah, that, I don't imagine that happening yeah. down there. Yeah, can you but, imagine the octopus just like leaving through Lewis Dartnell's book? Yeah, like, well, I can't do any yeah, of this. I can't do this. Can't yeah. do this. I can turn these pages quite nicely though, yeah. thanks to my prehensile yeah. <laughs> appendage. <laughs> One of which is a dick, by the way. <laughs> Ladies! <laughs> uh, so I think on... <sighs> I mean, if the, if the Corvids can eat cockroaches, they're, they're in good shape as well, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although they're probably going to need to get a bit bigger. Yeah. Otherwise, the cockroaches are going to be eyeing them up. Oh. <laughs> uh, what did uh, Dr. Elsa think? Let's have a listen. It's hard to say what would take our place if we were to become extinct ourselves. Um, I would like to think that some really, some other really smart, intelligent group of animal might take over. I mean, my money personally is on the crows and uh, the corvids, you know, the the group that includes ravens and crows and jackdaws, because they are cheeky and they're smart, and I can just see them turning into this new civilization. However, that is pure conjecture, because it just depends on the way the climate changes and the way that different animals respond to things. So actually, it's impossible to say, but my money's on the crows. Yes, crows. Is this why people salute magpies, just in case? In case they become our overlords. Yeah. Although we're yeah. dead by that point, so actually... 
Well, maybe they're thinking, yeah, if I survive the apocalypse and the magpies take over, Enslaved they'll me. remember that I always saluted them. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Do you have friends who do that? No. I have an increasing number of pe- people in my circle who's, who seem to <laughs> stop and salute magpies. Yeah, but you live in Lewis. Yeah, so, true. So, I mean, of course you do. Yeah, there's not so much in Kentish Town in Manchester. Then. No, none no. of that. Um, I've got one other very out there suggestion Go on. that you might like. And also won't buy. What about something that is not a plant, is not an animal, is not fungus? What about our old friend, the slime mould? I mean, (laughs) God... It's not interesting, though, is it? It's not, it's not taking over in any interesting way. The, the only reason I'm saying it is because I heard, an, a, and this was a scientist, talking about this stuff, and I, I loved it so much. <laughs> she said, what about... Now, slime mould is amazing. Yeah, It does yeah, do yeah, it, yeah, some extraordinary yeah, yeah. stuff, given that... And, and we can't really understand how it's doing it, because yeah. it can kind of solve problems and sort of do, do maths, but, I mean... We just yeah, it, but it not make, not like no, no, no. explicitly consciously. Sort of. Right, 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 right. And and it's a it's a very odd. Yeah, it's just an odd thing. I don't yeah. even know how to. I don't even know what group of creature it is. No. Anyway, is it edible? <sighs> I don't know. Do you want me to get you a plate of it? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, she said, "Imagine this: you take a load of slime mold to Mars, uh, and then some slime mold escapes on Mars." Mars is a totally uh, new environment, um, slightly more radiation, so you're going to get a bit more uh, sort of jiggery-pokery yeah. and evolution. And she, I promise you, said, you can see a situation where the slime mould suddenly sort of evolves legs and starts being able to run around. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if I can. Suddenly. But at the same time, yes, please. <laughs> So anyway, I'm putting slime mould in. Who was she? I don't know, but I loved it. Eureka is a stack production presented by Dr. Michael Brooks and Rick Edwards. The production team is Temi Adebayo, Katie Baxter, Luke Moore and Charlie Morgan. Sound designed by Katie Baxter. Special thanks to today's expert, Dr. Elsa Pancheroli. Please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. It does make a massive difference. We also really love hearing from you guys. So if you have any burning questions you want us to answer, drop us an email at eureka at stack.london or you can find us, as always, on Twitter at EurekaPod. Eureka is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.